0: There are dozens of genre film festivals around the world, and either we can't afford or don't have time to go to any of them. We're guessing a lot of you are in the same boat, and on Cinema Smorgasbord Presents Cinema Fantastica, we pick one of these festivals, a year in which it ran, and choose two films that played at that festival to battle against each other. On this episode, we're traveling to the 2016 edition of the Monster Film Festival in Melbourne, Australia, where we'll be checking out Nick Johnjurius' The Windmill Massacre and Paul Schrader's Dog Eat Dog. Welcome to Cinema Fantastica, a trip through time and space to the genre film festivals around the globe. I'm Doug Tilly, and with me as usual is the mad dog, Liam O'Donnell. But today, Liam, we are enemies, as we're tasked with pitting two genre film classics against one another in a battle to see who reigns supreme. Liam, you know, on one of our other podcasts, Wild in the Street, I rever- I referred to you as a mad dog in that as well. But you're a mad dog here today, and that actually plays into one of the films that we're going to talk about a little lo- a little bit later in the show.
1: Well, I I got to say, I was going to... um. Uh, protest to you calling me Mad Dog, considering the way the character works in that movie. But then I realized there is no character I'd rather be in that movie, um, unless you were going to call me whatever the <laughs> names of that nice couple at the end was. There's no one else in the movie I think I want to be identified with.
0: I don't know how to interpret that, but we'll get to that when we talk about the movie. Though I have to say, when I think of Mad Dog, you know what I think of, Liam? What's that? Uh, Pee Wee Herman going, Ah! Mad Dog! Cool. Liam, I watched Big Top Peewee uh, in the last couple of days.
1: <laughs> for what possible reason? Uh,
0: for reasons that I don't want to get into. They are not podcast related. I'm actually, okay, I am going to explain it. Uh, sometimes I need a reason to decide which movie to watch. Because otherwise I'll just scroll and scroll and scroll, right? So I have a book of movie reviews from years back uh, that I enjoy reading through. And what I do is when I don't have a movie to watch, I'm actually going through them uh, alphabetically in that book and just going through them and there's a lot of genre stuff of good and bad quality so I'll I'll watch a movie and read the review for it and that's just something I sometimes do and I know it's not very cool but it's what I do and it's what brought me to watching Big Top Pee Wee for the first time probably probably since the early nineties. Uh, I had not seen it. Obviously I'm a big fan of Pee Wee's Big Adventure. I think a lot of people are I imagine you are as well Liam but this is my first time revisiting Big Top Pee Wee. Liam and what do you think?
1: What do you think? I I have almost (laughs) no memories of it, but I don't remember liking it.
0: Let me tell you the thing that's good about Big Top Pee-Wee. Susan Tyrell is in it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the end. (laughs) (laughs) You know what that movie's about? Pee-Wee wants to fuck. Like, that's what the movie, the whole thing is about that. He just wants to fuck. And there's a part in the movie where he does fuck. And they do that joke about showing the, um, the the train going into the tunnel and the sprinklers turning on and all that. Th- that happens in the movie.
1: Weird choice. Weird, yeah, weird choice. Yeah,
0: that's real weird. It, it's it's a real strange... The thing is, strange would be fine, because strange is what you want out of a Pee-wee movie, but what an odd... It almost feels like something that they would have come up with after he got busted for jerking off in a theater to be like, hey, this guy, he's not so weird. Look, he likes to fuck. <laughs>
1: But they didn't, right? Like, I feel like Pee-wee was. Yeah, this was years before. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. yeah was he so, in?
1: Bu- was he in Buffy before or after the jerking off?
0: see, Let's see. We can probably work it out. Ninety-two was when the original Buffy the Vampire Slayer came out. I think it was like the year after, though. I might be wrong on that. I'm trying to think. Or no, I'm trying to think about the MTV Video Awards where he came out and he said, "Heard any good jokes lately?" Which was a very funny thing. Yeah. 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 <laughs>
1: I just, it's, it's, I'm not a huge apologist for that Buffy movie, you know, like right. parts of it are good. Overall, I think it's, it's a little overrated, but him in that movie, I've always enjoyed, especially that death scene. It's just, it still makes me laugh just to think about it.
0: Do you watch, uh, what we do in the shadows? The, uh, I do, the, I do, te- I do. Yeah. So, you know, that of course he showed up as that character in that as well. I do, but was that on the show or the movie?
1: I kind of, it's kind of the television show what's was that the new season? No, no, that was season 2, maybe. 2 I
0: think. Yeah, yeah, the council of I mean, I can't remember yeah. many of
1: the details. No, the council there were so many cameos on the council yeah. that it was like that was the that was one of the best things that they've done, you know.
0: Liam, we're here to talk about the Monster Film Festival in Melbourne, Australia. Today. Sure. Yeah. Um but before we talk about the movies that we're going to talk about that played at that festival let's talk about the festival itself it was founded in 2011 by genre distribution specialist monster pictures a monster fest is a mix of premieres international festival favorites challenging new discoveries and curated repertory sidebars alongside industry focused events such as panels and master classes with renowned international and local guests and a special emphasis on supporting emerging australian genre talent through the festival and beyond makes me wish liam that we had picked australian movies to cover that's, that's
1: fair i (laughs) I thought thought about it, but there wasn't any on the list that I wanted to watch.
0: Now, when we get to the movies we actually chose It's going to be even more confusing Yes, I know <laughs> The keynote speaker for the 2016 edition Was director Ted Kotcheff Who presented screenings of his films Wake in Fright and First Blood And Weekend at Bernie's Which must have been very interesting uh, Lots of interesting movies played at that festival Including uh, some well-known genre efforts Like The Autopsy of Jane Doe um, Matthew Holness's The Legend of Ben Hall That's of course Matthew Holness The creator of Dark Place The award Awards given at – very interesting looking at some of the awards given at that festival. The Golden Monster Award, which I imagine is kind of like their best picture, went to uh, Julia Duc-Duc-Nau's, uh Raw, an amazing film. Best International Feature went to The Autopsy of Jane Doe. Best Australian Feature went to Safe Neighborhood. Guess, uh, guess that one didn't, uh, didn't interest you at all. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I didn't – yeah, I didn't recognize – I mean, well, well, we'll get to why we picked our movies, I guess. But recognition was the only criteria that I had
0: the monster innovation award went to prevenge and also a uh, quite a good film i uh, the movies that we we chose we'll get into why we chose them in just a little bit but i do have to say that this festival seems like a lot of fun the greasy strangler by the way also played at this festival hey, and i was kind of hoping yes can, can i
1: also point out best documentary was sympathy for the devil the true story of the process church of final judgment and i, I bring that up to say that movie disappeared I saw yeah. that. I went to see that at Philomoka in Philly and there was a lot of hype around it. My I've heard that there might be some pending lawsuits involved. I don't know how real that is, but when I've asked other people about whatever happened in that movie, there was some suggestion that there might be some litigation from the church which is not active but kind of. I don't know.
0: I should mention as well that the programmer of the 2016 edition of the Monster Film uh, Monster Fest Film Festival was uh, Kirla Janice, the Canadian film programmer and author of House of Psychotic Women, uh, wonderful uh, film programmer and writer. Uh, that she no longer is a—I don't think she's the programmer of the festival anymore. But I might—it might explain the variety of features that we see here. And sure. yes, Liam, the the since we're, we didn't get to talk about it on this episode, since you refused to choose it, your thoughts on the Greasy Strangler?
1: Oh, I, yeah, I guess it is kind of a controversial film. I like it. I, I I do too. Actually, (laughs) I I understand why people don't like it. I get. I think the sense that people have of it is that it's sort of a one-note joke. Yes. You know, but that's also what people say about like Jack Black, right? But uh... (laughs)
0: what do you mean? he can sing and he's fat. <laughs> it's
1: just the same joke that he just mostly is doing the same thing over and over again. And and I get that, but also it always, it almost always makes me laugh. And the few times where he isn't doing the character, it's also good. So I, you know, whatever in the case of Greasy Strangler, you know, it's a lot of the same things over and over again. A lot of weirdness. I don't know. I think there was also a pushback at the time because there was a feeling that maybe it was weird for the
0: sake, sake of, of being weird, weird. but like, I don't care? Is that fair to say? I don't care. Yeah. You know what I think? When I think of movies like the ones that you were talking about, kind of the, these criticisms, I think of the movies of Quentin DePew, like Rubber, that movie, which really is kind Love of like a- Love
1: his movies.
0: Yeah. But they really are kind of like a, a concept movie, like a, one funny idea, sure. and then they yeah. just run with it as far as possible. But I put like The Greasy Strangler in the same idea. and I, It also has that sort of alternative comedy, Tim and Eric type, ugly character type thing going on. I mean, I, it, it, and I'm not just saying that because the lead character kind of looks like Eric from Tim and Eric, but, but, you know, I do feel like it has a sensibility that's very specific to certain audiences. So if you don't like it, hey, that's perfectly fine. But we're not here, Liam, to talk about The Greasy Strangler, no. unfortunately. Unfortunately, we're here to talk about two other movies. The film I chose was 2016's The Windmill Massacre. But before we talk about why I chose that, I want to I learn from you, Liam. Why did you make us watch Paul Schrader's Dog Eat Dog starring Nicolas Cage and Willem Dafoe. This is a bit
1: of a spoiler, the way that you put that. Um, Yeah, I mean, 100% it was. So people who've been listening to this podcast for a while will remember other editions of this particular show in which I've picked something I know is good so that I can defeat you in this little pseudo contest that we've made up. And many times I've done that. I've stacked the deck in my favor. And this time I felt like that was unfair, especially choosing 2016, right? Right. That's a year where I knew I had seen a chunk of these movies. So if I had picked Greasy Strangler, if I had picked Raw- If you picked Raw, that would have been a difficult
0: one to- Well, even
1: Autopsy of Jane Doe. I mean- Maybe there are people who'd be like, "Oh, that would." Be to me, Autopsy Jane Doe, undeniable banger. If you don't agree, eat my ass. You know what I mean? Sure. Like, Fair so, so I was like, I need to, <laughs> I need to pick something I haven't seen, and yes, I had forgotten how controversial Dog Eat Dog was when it came out. I only recognized <laughs> the name. I saw Nick Cage and Willem Dafoe. I said, oh, I think this is a Paul Schrader film. Hmm, that might be interesting. And so then I picked it. And it was only once I started watching the film that I was like, oh, right, this movie. Oh, no. <laughs> uh,
0: yeah. Well, look, I mean, it's perfectly reasonable to pick a Paul Schrader film. It's not like he, I mean, he is a wonderful writer. He's made a lot of beloved films and directed a lot of great movies just in the last few years. I mean, The Card Counter and First Reformed. I mean, there's no reason to think that him, plus these great actors, and I love Nicolas Cage and I love Willem Dafoe, no reason to think that that wouldn't come out as something very good. But we'll talk about whether it actually turned out that way in just a little bit. I chose The Windmill Massacre, aka The Windmill, because I had heard someone else at some point talk about it saying that it was pretty good. And that is as far as my research on the subject went. <laughs> I didn't know what kind of movie it was. I think I had read at some point in the past that it took place in Amsterdam and that it, you know, that it, it had kind of an international cast. Let's say, uh, and that was enough for me. I was like, well, I haven't heard of it. I heard one little good thing really, uh, and that, uh, and and let's let's throw uh, caution to the wind and choose what ended up being a supernaturally tinged slasher movie, Liam, uh, and and maybe maybe I wasn't the best person to choose that because I'm notoriously not a fan of slasher movies Liam, do you remember this? Yeah, Yeah. I do remember that, yeah So, uh, So an odd one for me to choose but now we're left with the major important question, Liam Which of these films are superior? Let us take a break When we return, the first one we're going to talk about is 2016's The Windmill Massacre right after this Isn't this great? Fabulous city, just the
1: two of us. Always room for one more sinner. (laughs) What is this place? This must be centuries old. It's a legend. A Miller sells his soul to the devil for the secret of keeping his blades turning winter. No wind.
0: So we're all bound for damnation.
1: Cannot be this mill, can it? Why not?
0: This isn't hell. This is Holland. Seven tourists with troubled pasts find themselves trapped at a satanic mill in rural Holland. As they're attacked for their sins one by one, the night becomes a fight for survival. It's 2016's The Windmill Massacre, a.k.a. The Windmill in the U.S. I guess they wanted to keep the mystery in the title, whether there was going to be a massacre or not. Uh, Directed by Nick Jongjurius. This is his only feature, but he's worked extensively on television, Dutch television, including directing 10 episodes of a show called Nerds with Attitudes. Liam, this will interest you. It's described as... Three teenage misfits decide that the only way they'll ever be popular in high school is by starting their own hip-hop group, But that's easier said than done. That's Nerds with Attitudes, all directed by the director of the Windmill Massacre. Uh, He also uh, wrote this film along with Chris W. Mitchell, uh, director of 2014's The Pool, but probably best known for being one of the writers of 2013's Frankenstein's Army, and Susie Quid, who this is her only writing credit on IMDb. Uh, Quite a distinguished and recognizable cast here, including Charlotte Beaumont as the main character, Jennifer, doing an Australian accent for some reason in this film. Uh, Apparently it was to emphasize that she had to run a great distance to escape her past uh, whether that was a successful choice for this british actress uh, we will get into that in just a little bit uh, and some other um you know i say familiar faces maybe not so much but i do i have recognized a few of these uh actors from different places including noah taylor who plays nicholas in this the doctor um as well as there's one of the guys who was in the british version of the office <laughs> so i recognize all sorts of people in here liam uh, very exciting very um um very diverse cast, Liam. Let us get into talking about it. Let's start with you. This was, I imagine, your first time watching The Windmill Massacre. What did you think?
1: It's fine. It's exceedingly fine. It's a slasher movie, Liam. <laughs> I mean, you know what? It, it. I've said this before, and I don't know if this translates to everyone, but some people know exactly what I mean. It is a prototypical genre fest movie for me. Like a movie that I go to at a fest. I don't, I'm not mad that I saw it, but after the fest, I don't seek it out or I don't necessarily recommend it to people. Right. You know, I know. Gotcha. It's because it's relatively well executed, but it doesn't elevate beyond the genre at all it's sort of stereotypical in some ways uh and it ends up being slightly unsatisfying at the end a lot of these movies despite having some interesting moments and maybe some fun kills they tend to be terrible at sticking the landing Mm -hmm. um and and often i think that's because everybody wants their ending to either be dramatic or have a fun stinger or end on some sort of emotional note. I don't know. Maybe that was the secret of all the enduring horror films that we still talk about, was that somehow they had figured out endings. Although I'm sure some of them have bad endings too. But (laughs) this level of like new horror film, I always feel like they always end in a way where I go, oh, okay, that's all. I assume you just ran
0: out of money. Is that what happened? Is that why we... (laughs) Um, I think it's more like, oh well, we're about here at ninety minutes here. I guess we got to get out. <laughs> yeah,
1: I mean, I don't mind some of the performances. You brought up Noah Taylor. I th- I think he's particularly good. I thought um, uh, our main actress is pretty good. I forget what her name is already. Charlotte, Charlotte Beaumont. Beaumont. Uh, I think she's she's you know solid. I, I I not sure about her accent, and I don't know why she <laughs> needed it. Uh, probably just because there's something about the when she goes into her memories and it's kind of deserty because parts of Australia are kind of deserty
0: and her de- and an angry australian dad just seems more menacing than other dads i guess um, i guess like i couldn't like until the movie mentioned that she was australian i actually didn't pick up the fact that she was trying to do an australian accent and when her father who uh, this isn't much of a spoiler she she's an abused person in the movie and that's part of her her storyline uh that she has run away from her father when he talks not i mean yes he's definitely australian but it's not like (laughs) didn't really make a big impact on me can you do an australian accent liam
1: no (laughs) i thought about it for half a second i thought no i'm not gonna embarrass myself that way um yeah i I, a i'm not a huge slasher person i think there are examples of slashes that i enjoy but it's not my favorite genre um i tend to Really not like supernatural slashers, right? Because right. the 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 appeal to me of a slasher is the lack of supernatural. That's what sort of could be good if it done well. The idea of like it has all the beats of a slasher, but he's the devil, or he's a ghost, or he's uh, whatever. I, I, it's
0: it's interesting to hear you say that because you know outside. I was gonna say outside of the Halloween franchise, but even that gets into supernatural territory. There are not many big slasher movies that don't have any supernatural.
1: Halloween. No, I mean you, you. Like I said, you have the first Halloween. You've right. got uh, Black Christmas. Right. You've got uh, a Slumber Party Massacre. Uh, there's probably other ones that people are yelling. Ones at.
0: that become series is uh, they tend to get a little wilder as they continue. Right,
1: right. and I th- and that's always when they. Not always. That's often when they tend to be – I mean, if you think about it, actually, even the Friday the 13th films didn't become supernatural until 6, right?
0: I mean, I guess you could consider the ending of the first one to be somewhat supernatural, right? Yeah, but that's not real. Yeah.
1: Anyways, doesn't matter. The point is it's not my favorite genre – uh, per se, but you know, I'm sure there are some that I like. I mean, obviously, the first Nightmare on Elm Street, but there's there's probably other ones I like as well. It's just not one where if I read it on a film, I I, I said this is a, a prototypical film fest movie. Chances are, though, if I read this description, I don't know that I would choose this movie at a film fest. I think I might choose something a little weirder or something that had some a different sh- sort of genre element. Um, but I will say. That and this might be because my expectations were pretty low. I didn't think this was bad, I, there was no. a lot of it that I thought was pretty solid, um, and, and sort of excelled at what it was trying to do. It's just in the end, what ends up happening for me is like I said, the ending isn't great. I also feel like, um, the part of the plot where one character knows what's going on, yeah. And no one believes her or or him, uh, and they you, often because the person is crazy or some other sort of. I always find that frustrating. I think because it's overused. Probably it's treated
0: f- very indelicately here too, right? With yes, the yes, aspect.
1: very yeah. much like the doctor saw her medication and was like well we can't believe her she's clearly hallucinating yeah. <laughs> and and then and then the horrible jingoistic dad just runs with it because i don't know he's british so i guess that's just what they do it's <laughs> it's very weird it's a very weird uh, that And unfortunately, that ends up being so much of the story that it's it it makes the movie less good. Whereas if it was a moment, you know, like we get through one kill and they don't believe her, but then soon they do believe her. I, 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 I don't know. Maybe that makes the plot more interesting for some people. But for me, I'd rather see them running away and screaming than just sitting around a fire arguing about whether they should tie her up or not. I just don't <laughs> find that that
0: compelling, you know? It's, it's a weird thing about slasher movies, you know? It, one of the reasons that I don't care for a lot of them is that I feel like the standards are so low for them generally. Sure, yeah. By which I mean, so this is definitely in, like, the top one percentile, and it's just okay, right? It, like, it, if you go on Tubi or, you you know, you you go on any sort of streaming service, you'll find dozens and dozens of them released every month of these low-budget slashing movies. This isn't that. This isn't, like, uh, shot on DV. I mean, it probably was shot on digital video. But it's, this isn't, like, like a $100,000 movie. This is a movie with a real budget, with real actors, and a real plot. And, again, I'm not knocking those other movies totally. It's just that they have a very low bar. So if this movie, this exact movie with this exact plot, came out in 1985 people would still be talking about it now, right? Because it's just as good as most of the beloved slasher movies from that time period. I don't think it's any better or worse than, you know, Friday the 13th Part 3 or even a movie that I like, like April Fool's Day, right? I mean, the, the, the most of the plot of those movies is... You it, it,
1: lay off April
0: Fool's Day. I like it. I just said I really like it. I'm just saying that those movies are not that fucking great. And, uh, and the, the thing that separates them is usually there's like one... An element or another element so the thing that separates this movie and it's supposed to be unique is that all of these characters are in amsterdam and they have some sort of dark secret in their past they end up getting on a tour bus uh they're being taken around to different windmills around the area some of them are on because they actually are interested others are just trying to escape whatever and then they find themselves all together after the bus breaks down uh, in like a, um, an abandoned building near a windmill. And what we discover, and this is the big crux of the movie, is basically they're on the entrance to hell and there is this killer guy with a big weapon <laughs> who is going to kill them if they don't repent for their sins in some way. Uh, and that's kind of like a very minor part of it. Basically, they the supernatural element is so strong in this that there really, there's no way for them to get away. They get picked off one by one because they can basically be, be made to see and hear whatever this devilish, demonish character wants them to see or hear. And then as they're vulnerable, they get killed in a gruesome way. And then at the end, there's a suggestion that if they burn down the windmill, maybe that'll take care of things. And then the ending suggests, hey, didn't matter what you did. You probably were fucked all together, as these movies often have. And that's the entire thing. And I have to say... I'm with you. The supernatural thing is not something I enjoy in a lot of these movies. But the way that it works out here outside of the oh we don't believe the character thing I think is at least fairly cleverly done for most of it. Also the fact that one of the characters is a hemophiliac I don't think I've ever seen that done in a horror movie before. What a bizarre fucking thing. It's like this character cut his arm now he's fucked unless (laughs) he raises his hand over his head. I also like that it's not played for that much drama. It's not like This guy is going to die if we don't take care of him right now. Basically, there's a guy, the doctor character, who's like, yeah, he just needs to raise his hand over his head. He'll be okay." It's just like, what the fuck was the point of it in the first place? (laughs) It's just an excuse to make the dad angry
1: because an important part of the point is that this kid's dad sucks. Yes. Like, a lot of the plot revolves around how much he sucks, and then also that we can't trust the – the Noah Taylor doctor that he's not trustworthy, that's yes. most of the story. I guess there's also the idea that the Japanese uh kid is like I don't know good that seems to be important too um but but it's not as important to the narrative like the whole movie doesn't work if for more than a minute the the British dad acts like a human being, <laughs> then the whole plot falls apart.
0: I did really like the uh Dutch. Um, the the guy who ran the tour. I, I like that, and I did think that the twist on that was a little bit clever, um, especially if you don't think about it too much. But like, I do think that overall, this is a step above, uh, whether it be performances, whether it be the writing of a lot of the movies, and I do think the, the fact that it takes place in Amsterdam gives it a little bit of a hook that's a little bit interesting. Ah, that's right. That's the weapon that the villain has in this, oh, a <laughs> hook. No, it's a scythe. It's a site, that's right. It's supposed yeah, to be a
1: site yeah, at the yeah. very least. Um, uh, I So mm. here's the thing, Doug. I will agree with you when it comes to the modern versions of these films, uh, but I don't feel that way about the classic versions. And for me, the difference is... Uh, compared, not to every example of a classic per se. Sure. Although I don't know how many people would think like Halloween Five is a classic, but uh, or not some Halloween people. 5, some people uh, in our uh, circle certainly would. Friday the Thirteenth <laughs> Five, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I, but I think oh, lots of people like Friday the Thirteenth Part Five. I, I hate Part Five. I think it's <laughs> I a piece to. of shit. Uh, anyways, it's point, not supernatural though, right? That is true. The What I'm trying to get to, Doug, <laughs> is that I think a lot of those classics um, have a certain uh sort of campiness, whether intentional or unintentional, that sometimes I find amusing. And a lot of the modern versions, realizing that it's hard to nail camp uh in 2016 when this was made, let alone sure. now in 2021, mm-hmm. they just go for more serious, you know, with some jokes here and there, but they, they they're like try to play it straight. And and I I kind of prefer that to the fake camp of let's say hobo with a shotgun. You know what sure. I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I gotcha. Like but a lot of them, in trying to take themselves seriously, tend to take themselves too seriously and become like a fucking uh, caricature. And that's how I feel about this movie is mm-hmm. that, like, while it's effective in certain ways, overall, basing a horror movie around a windmill is stupid. And the founding narrative of the, the legend of the guy is also stupid. And so the movie playing it completely straight. I guess it's better than trying to be silly, but it still is like, I, it just feels like it's mocking itself unintentionally. It's not in on the joke, and that is where I felt detached from the film.
0: See, I felt a little bit differently in the sense that I felt it was a little too self-consciously aware of the fact that it was a slasher movie and had certain certain things that it had to fulfill for fans of that sure, genre.
1: Sure, but it could have done that. I I think, again... Uh, maybe maybe it would have failed even harder if it was silly. But I wonder if maybe a sillier version of a windmill massacre movie would be more effective than this. Which is very much like... Sorry, did you
0: say windmill? <laughs> yeah, windmill. Is, be- I- is that how you say that? <laughs> Get
1: the fuck out of my face. <laughs> a windmill massacre mm-hmm. movie would be maybe more effective because like the whole the whole idea that this guy made a deal with the devil and now he's grounding people's bones to have good flour i could not i'm sorry there's no version of that that is like actually compelling to me in any way it's just it from that moment i thought the movie was going to be uh not 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 that it's not self-aware but i thought it was going to have more of a of a wink to it and it doesn't have that in my opinion uh and 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 again sometimes the wink can also be painful right like i'm not saying that but in this case i don't think the founding idea is strong enough to carry a movie that's taking itself
0: this seriously i've heard this movie compared to the Hatchet series. Now, do you have any feelings at all about that series? Now, one of the things that people did seem to like about at least the first Hatchet when it came out was it was supposed to be kind of a return to a no-nonsense, serious slasher movie with, you know, not, not original in any way, but it was, again, it was meant to fulfill this need for people who were tired of kind of like slick Hollywood horror.
1: My feeling, I mean, to be fair, I haven't watched any Hatchet sequels. Right. I only know the first one. And my feeling on the first one was that I respected it because I thought it was relatively effective at its goal of what mm-hmm. it was trying to do. But I just wasn't that interested in it because at that time when it came out, I was more trying to find horror movies that made me feel bad. Sure. You know? Um, And and I still like horror movies that make me feel bad, but that's when I first was like, you know what I really like in a horror movie? When I'm not only scared, but I also feel like a piece of shit. If I can get there, that's really the goal.
0: You're living in like the golden age of horror movies making you feel like a piece of shit. I I mean, I'm at the
1: point now where I'm like, let's turn the ship the other direction. I I think I'm done feeling bad about myself.
0: (laughs) Uh, Liam, one of the things that this movie does have to fulfill is being extremely violent. There's a lot of gore in this movie. And the thing is, you're right. This movie generally is very serious and does not wink at all. But the the one thing that does go a little bit overboard is the level of violence. What did you think of the gore in The Windmill? I think it's telling
1: that nothing stuck with me enough that I particularly, like, you know, the, the, the initial gore is this dude's legs being cut in half and then his head getting smushed.
0: The head getting smushed was kind of fun.
1: It was kind of fun, but I had to remember it. Like, nothing stuck with me where I could just be like, oh, yeah, that was so cool when that happened. Um, And the most – actually, there's only one moment of gore that's sort of emblazoned in my brain, and that was the final bit of gore because Mm. um, I was kind of happy with the corny ending of like, oh, okay, well, she's going to get away with the kid. You know, like she's, she, she, you know, her big sin was not murdering her dad. It was being not brave, you know, that if she did anything wrong, which I would argue she didn't do anything wrong. um, But if she did anything wrong, it was not being brave enough to try to save her brother. She did one
0: thing wrong. It was to not say, tell to her brother, don't fucking move.
1: Yeah. Don't go in the house. (laughs) I'm about to light it on fire. That's that's fair. But, but you know what I mean? In the, in the context of the movie, the idea that she should feel bad about killing her dad, I'm not too on board with. And then, uh, and then she gets fucked anyway. And 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 that moment, I I feel like it's a sort of moment that a different
0: kind of horror fan would be like,
1: yeah, fucking a. And instead, I was like, oh, really?
0: All right. I, I like how it's not even like a hesitation about spoiling of this movie for you. Even, no, I don't like... give a fuck. Yeah. are <laughs> I was even going to say, oh, right, right, we're going to talk about the ending now, but not not with <laughs> Liam O'Donnell around. Um. So, sorry, I guess. I will say that one of the things that would probably make fans of slasher movies not enjoy this movie is that it does rely on a lot of cg and some of this and cg blood as well which is the the, i know that people have i feel like maybe we've reached a point now in 2022 where cg blood could probably be okay but in 2016 we were not at that point so there's a lot of things where like someone is like punching a character and there's a bunch of fake blood squirting up and it does not look good well and Um, i think
1: the issue with that too is that um in order to make that CG blood work, the movie is at times overly dark. Like, like, like I get that some of it needs to be visually dark is what I mean. Not thematically dark. Uh, Some of it needs to be visually dark because they are in the fucking woods, but it's like, there are parts that I think would be better if they were a little brighter, except for, I think they're not because of the level of CG. I just don't think it would work. You know,
0: there's a part where the Japanese character um, is doing like a, a little ceremony. And we see the the killer from the film, who look kind of a leather facey looking guy, uh, who holding a scythe. uh, Is that he he shows up in like some smoke, and it does not look good at all. Um, And it it just it's a film that he he looks more like the guy from the burning. Yeah, the burning. That's that's a very good. I mean, he's certainly meant to um, to bring to mind very famous slasher villains. Yes, Um, and and you know quite self consciously so. But, you know, it's got, he's got a cool weapon. He does manage to cut off. I, I, it is strange that it... It. You're right. The violence that is the most memorable is the first kill and the last kill. And everything in between, outside of uh, Noah Taylor trying to keep his guts inside his own body, uh, isn't really that memorable. But, you know, it's, it's a film that's willing to go pretty hardcore in the level of violence in it. Um, but I'm with you, Liam. Let's just talk about it, as we're finishing up here, about that ending in a little bit more detail. So, we have these two characters. We have our, our lead character, who... Uh, Uh, Jennifer, who her sin is that she burned her father alive. He was abusive and was abusing her for years. And then her her brother was starting to be abused as well. She takes him out of the trailer that in which they live. Uh, She pours a bunch of gasoline, lights it on fire. And then finds out that her brother has actually wandered back into the the trailer as well. And she has accidentally killed her brother as well as uh, intentionally killed her father. And then she's on the run basically for the the movie. And uh, like you said, what she discovers is that, or maybe she didn't discover that. Because as we find out at the end, she gets killed anyway. She's trying to save the only other um, not sinful character, which is... That hemophiliac son of one of the asshole characters in this, uh, who just seems to be a decent guy who somehow uh, has gotten himself tangled up in this particular situation. So she saves his life. Uh They light the windmill on fire, and then it seems like they get away. And then she gets uh, her. What happens to her head? It's like he throws something yeah, at her. Yeah, he doesn't just have the
1: scythe. He has some sort of blade weapon on a chain, and he throws. Yeah, it he, at her he has and it like the scorpion her from her Mortal Kombat
0: weapon. He goes, "Get over here!" and he fucking <laughs> destroys her head. <laughs> and it's supposed to be like this huge shock. But I have to say, all I did was like, go, Ugh, this sort of thing. Right. Yeah. <laughs> That's what you get for caring about a character. <laughs> well, I think what ends up happening,
1: too, is we establish that the bus driver is as supernatural as the killer, which wasn't clear. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and that's also a decision that I was like, yeah, I guess. Okay. If that's what we're going to do. So the whole thing is like a ghost bus is what we're trying to get. And yeah. I just found that, that. In fact, the only relief was I was worried we'd, we'd cut to the bus and she would be driving the bus or something fucked up like that. And then I'd be like, get out of <laughs> I, my fucking I care face. for the
0: bus while the master is away. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I it
1: just, I, you know, it's it, again, it's not the worst ending ever, but it just feels... It just felt half baked to me. It didn't feel like a lot of thought went into how to end the movie, and 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 the note it ends on is sort of a cheap, sort of stinger. Like it'll never end. The bus will always bring sinners to the windmill. Yeah,
0: and it's also one of those ones as well where it's hard not to be cynical about. It. It's like, oh, when the windmill massacre is this huge success, we'll get the windmill massacre too, and you can just continue. And yeah, it's it's again, it's no worse than any number of (laughs) well-loved slasher movies, but I don't think it's particularly great. But I have to say, while I was watching it, I was engaged and uh, I was enjoying myself and then it was over and I felt like I never had to watch it again, which again, is it's not necessarily a horrible criticism. Not every movie has to be uh, uh, watched repeatedly, but I think your description of it was spot on, Liam. It's the kind of movie that you see, particularly at a genre film festival, enjoy yourself and then never have to revisit unless... You are watching it specifically for a podcast.
1: <laughs> I think that um, some people will have this same pet peeve of mine, which is not a movie ruiner, but it's something that gets on my nerves, which is that sometimes these movies, especially when there's a supernatural adversary, they want to give you hope in having some sort of like trick thing, right? Like right. if you just destroy this or burn that or do the, then you'll have a chance. And then right, they right. just take it away. Like, nah, we were fucking with you. There was never any chance. <laughs> and like, Probably the first time that happened in a movie, it was like, oh, fuck, yeah. But that's become such a staple of the genre as well that when a movie does it, I go, okay, cool. You couldn't come up with a good idea? That's what
0: we did? All right. Also, like, you could have had almost everything stay the same if those two characters lived. You could have still had the guy, you know, the, the ending showing that the bus driver is still alive and that he can continue off. There's really not much you had to change to make this. And it's not even a happy ending because all those characters, including decent people, die uh, in this movie. That you could just have it, okay, they went off I guess the only kind of stinger on something like that Is the the characters that survive Having witnessed this incredible supernatural thing But whatever, you don't gotta deal with it Just cut to the fucking credits <laughs> Leon, What I'm saying is uh, The Windmill Massacre is a movie of contradictions And mm-hmm. it, uh, it would probably fit right in the middle Of a, a number scale If we ever had something like that on a show Sure, like sure Liam, I've uh, I've played the case of The Windmill Massacre to you at this point ah, it's, it's clearly the better of these two movies that we're going to be talking about Let us take a break Then it will be your turn to tell me all about The wonderful Paul Schrader, the incredible writer, the incredible director Paul Schrader's 2016 film, Dog Eats Dog There was me, there was Diesel, and there was Mad Dog We all did our piece at different times And I was the last to come out once you are in, staying out is all but impossible. That's him.
1: Hey, bro, look at this. This ain't no cop car.
0: These chaps decided to throw me a welcome home party. I know what the fuck. You got a problem, <laughs> You need to get us some real work because this is no kind of life.
1: Stick forever.
0: So what's the gig? This guy, he's got a one-year-old out in the Heights. I need you to snatch him. I don't know, man. The kid's still a baby, he ain't never gonna know.
1: If he was four or something, I'd never be doing that.
0: He wouldn't do that. This is the game plan. Big job for us, baby napping. Well, that
1: don't sound so good.
0: It's not, and I'm not saying it is. There's a gig, and there's a lot of money at the end. Run away to Hawaii. It never works out. I think it does sometimes.
1: You just don't know about it, because they run off to Hawaii, and you don't ever hear from them again. A crew of ex-cons are hired by a Cleveland mafioso to kidnap the baby of a rival mobster. It's not really true. Uh, that's 2016's Dog Eat Dog, uh, directed by Paul Schrader. Based on the novel Doggy Dog by uh, Edward Bunker, people may know him as uh, um, he wrote the scripts for Straight Time. Uh, which is based on his debut novel, uh, "No Beast So Fierce." Uh, runaway Train, Animal That's Factory, the great Runaway Train. What, I mean, yeah, I know. Crossover. I was gonna say. I was gonna say. Yeah, uh, Eric Roberts, uh, and and he has a small role that you know, Doug in Reservoir Dogs. I could not picture it. You even quoted the role, the the line to me, and I'm yeah. like, no, nah, I don't remember that part. It's uh, a
0: very small part, but he's one of the criminals in Reservoir Dogs who, who are like in in the opening scene in the diner and stuff.
1: Yeah. I mean, he's an author of crime fiction uh and and I feel like um there is a certain like uh fanhood among filmmakers of certain crime fiction writers, you know? So I'm sure there's someone who hears Edward Bunker and they're like, "Oh, of course, Edward Bunker." And I didn't I didn't re- I don't remember. I think he
0: had him. a lot of credibility because he was an actual felon. He's speaking from personal experience. Right, 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 right.
1: Uh, And then also uh, written by Matthew Wilder who worked uh, mostly in theater but uh, directed the 2008 sci-fi film Your Name Here with Bill Pullman as well as the 2018 film American Martyr. Uh, I didn't see either of those movies. Uh, (laughs) Starring Nicolas Cage, Willem Dafoe, Christopher Matthew Cook, Omar Dorsey. Uh, Of course, Paul Schrader has a cameo in his own movie. Not even a cameo, a full part in this movie. As Greco the Greek, uh, Louisa Krause, Melissa Bologna, a few other people, too. Um, the film was the closing entry for the director's fortnight section at the 2016 Cannes Film Festival. Uh, and honestly, it, it is a, a movie that I heard about, and I should have remembered what I heard, but I picked it somewhat randomly. And only once I started watching it, I go, oh, right. I heard that people had really mixed feelings about this movie. Uh, And and I couldn't remember exactly why, but by the time the movie was over, I had a good feeling of why people might have felt conflicting (laughs) emotions about this movie. But before we get into what other people thought, or even what I thought, Doug, what did you think of this movie that I chose from Paul Schrader called Dog Eat Dog?
0: I can't hate a movie... Which features a sequence where Nicolas Cage, Willem Dafoe, and some other guy get high on cocaine and squirt each other with ketchup and mustard (laughs) (laughs) in a hotel room having the time of their lives. Um, I just just don't have it within me. And here's the thing. Paul Schrader, the person, kind of a piece of shit. We all know it. He's the fucking worst. He's the worst. But... He is also the writer of some of the greatest films ever made and the director of some incredible movies as well. And even as he's a piece of shit, he's a very interesting person. So I have a lot of kind of mixed emotions about Paul Schrader as an artist, as a creator, but also a ton of respect for him. So I went into this with kind of... of, mid expectations because I did know its reputation, but I was like, I'm ready to enjoy this. I love Nicolas Cage. I fucking love Willem Dafoe. And both of them are really good in this, particularly Willem Dafoe, who is very, he's doing something fucking weird. <laughs> this as this mad dog character. The thing, this movie starts with him. Um, he has a troubled relationship with, I guess, an ex-girlfriend in it. He goes to her house or he is staying at her house uh, basically taking drugs and hallucinating. And he ends up murdering her and her kid, her, like, like 12, 13-year-old kid. Uh, and that is, like, the opening scene of the movie. And then this is a character. Afterwards, I don't know how much sympathy you're supposed to have, but at the very least, you're supposed to be, like, interested in where this character is going. He's one of three main characters in this movie. Nicholas Cage is more of the mastermind mm-hmm. of it. They all spent some time in jail together. They have kind of a bond from the fact that they have supported each other. And now they're out in the world, and they cannot... They cannot get ahead, Liam, because the, the deck is stacked against them. And it's stacked both because the criminal justice system is fucked up and it's throwing people in jail and don't deserve to be there. and But also, these men did deserve to be there because <laughs> they're fucking maniacs <laughs> and it's also fucked up. So and now they're committing a bunch of really terrible, violent crimes as well. So it's really hard. And this is the thing I struggle with the most, to know who you're supposed to not who you're supposed to like because I don't need characters that I like in these movies. But it's like, I don't understand what the fucking point of it all was. And that's that's a difficult thing for me. I mean, I struggle with that in a lot of movies and sometimes I think about it for a while and then afterwards I'm like, oh, right, I get it. The point is that the criminal justice system is fucked. But this movie wants to have it both ways by showing just both corrupt cops who take arrested criminals out to the middle of nowhere and beat the shit out of them. And it's just like, that's fucked up. And it has like, uh, even uh, the ending has this uh, a completely innocent black couple getting mowed down by the police. And it's like, well, that's obviously trying to say something about racial, uh, uh, racial justice and, and the criminal justice system there. But that's not what this movie is about. It's mostly about three pieces of shit criminals doing really terrible things for money. And I'm not sure how sympathetic they're supposed to be while they're doing it outside of the fact that they're Nicolas Cage and Willem Dafoe and some other guy. Liam, so I'm more interested in what your thoughts on Dog mm. Eat Dog are.
1: <laughs> it's
0: hard to be, well,
1: I, this is a bit of a hot potato. And it is it is that for a few reasons, one of which is that um, our, we have we both have somewhat unfair judgments, possibly, or possibly fair judgments of Paul Schrader because of his internet presence where he has just said <laughs> terrible things on his Facebook and it's hard not it's hard to ignore it because it happens so often. If it was once or twice, I could maybe pull a hole, well, you know, he's getting old. It's fine. But it happens a lot, Doug. He for, for those lot, who don't
0: know, it's also – we have to make it very clear. He's not the kind of person who's saying terrible things like your racist uncle is saying terrible no, things. No, 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 Right? It, the, the fact is that he is a somewhat intellectual person with who who obviously thinks about the world a lot and thinks about the state of the world. So the things he comes up with and the situations he finds himself in are incredibly fucked up because he thinks he's in the right Always. Yeah. There's kind yeah. of a pretty famous thing. You know, he just made a movie called The Card Counter, which I haven't seen yet, but I've heard really good things about. But he was on like a online Zoom-based poker game, and he said something Sexist and terrible To one of the women That were part of it And got kicked out of the game And the guy was like Complaining about it And making himself Look like a piece of shit For a long time I remember like When he was um, I guess they were marketing Probably the card counter And he even said On social media Yeah well The production company They want me to get off Social media Because they're afraid I'm going to tank the movie (laughs)
1: with good reason he says crazy sh- i mean some of it is the sort of ways that you dig a hole cuz you're smart but when yeah. he's when he's on there like you can't even compliment a dame anymore yeah like, well i mean that's exactly oh, it God. right i mean he
0: definitely you know he, and he he i think he digs you know he it reminds me a lot of Terry Gilliam at this point right yeah, which is yeah, just yeah, like yeah. it's like I, he 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 has been told he's a genius for a long time so the fact that now he can't just get away with everything makes makes him just angry all the time
1: yeah the, but it, okay, so that leads into the second hot potato here, which is that I think because he has written some of the greatest movies uh, ever made, just I just think that's true. Sure. Then we try to pretend like he's also directed some of the greatest movies ever made, and I do love some of the movies he's
0: directed. Are, but are he's you the also, first reformed guy, uh, I,
1: and I do like first reformed. Yes, but mm-hmm. um, but there's some movies he's directed that I don't think are very good, or. I don't care about particularly, you know what I mean. And I think it's hard to say that. I mean, to me, the the thought that the guy who wrote Taxi Driver also wrote The Last Temptation of Christ, that's a mind melting realization. Yeah, that I is know, unbelievable. Right? But also the guy who, you know, directed uh, I don't know which good thing you know American Gigolo or whatever or Cap. I actually really like cat people a lot of people don't like cat people you know uh also directed some things that I just think are kind of boring
0: or not that good
1: you know I, and he's made a lot of like
0: I don't like the canyons at all but like I yeah. love Mishima a life in four chapters he just he's a very inconsistent but I have to say also incredibly prolific director sure but I think the issue for
1: me then is that I feel like people who really love him are like very toxic towards criticism of absolutely his movies 100%. because they're just like, well, he's clearly a genius. And I'm like, I guess, I mean, his batting average is higher than like mine or like, you know, a lot of shitty directors, but like, I can also think of directors who I feel like are more successful or maybe their misses, I think are less wild. And for me, this movie was mostly like a wild miss, uh, yeah. though it had interesting elements in it.
0: Liam the only thing i'm going to push back on is the idea that because you're exactly right Paul Schrader is beloved in film circles sure and and he's also different than a lot of people who are beloved in film circles who have made a lot of great movies or been involved in a lot of great movies in that he's still productive and still making sure. movies that yeah. are very well regarded yeah. up until like last year right so i mean this is a guy who still is a kind of a vital artist uh, unlike, like, Terry Gilliam, who hasn't really made a lot of decent stuff in a long time. Um, but the thing about him is that he isn't just the writer of great movies, he's the writer of some movies that people consider the greatest movies, you know? No, so yeah, it's, 100%. And that makes it so it's, it's, it's your, what you were saying, that is the case times 10, right? I mean, it's like, this is a guy that will always have another chance, will always have people defending him. and. And I feel feel like I was doing it myself for a while, up until the point where it was just like, he was just saying such, he's, it's really hard to separate the fact that he's an asshole. I mean, that's it. He's just an asshole of a guy from the fact that he makes work that sometimes seems very sympathetic and very smart. And uh, and by the way, we, we should note, I think, I mean, you already said it, he didn't write this movie. He isn't involved in the writing of it, which is all the more odd considering that he takes on one of the acting roles in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so part of what people really love about his work is his voice as a writer, uh, which is not on display here, but there must be something about this material that interests him, and that's what I wanted to ask you about, even though you're supposed to be asking me questions. What did you think was the appeal of this material to him?
1: No idea. Um, possibly I could see it being the moral complexity here, Sure, possibly it could be this is this is a vision of criminality we don't get a lot of criminal movies are set in one of the most recognizable big cities, not in uh not in uh where are they Cleveland yeah, not you know most movies it's like we're in Boston or New York or l a or Chicago. This is in Cleveland, like
0: almost nothing's said in Cleveland, certainly not mob movies um that said, uh, it's not very Cleveland-ish. I mean, this movie could take place in Atlantic City. It could take place in Vegas. I mean, they spend sure, a lot of time sure. at strip clubs and, sure. and gambling places. But, but I think just the idea of, like,
1: here are the the working stiff version of criminals. Sure. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They're in a small pond. They're kind of jerk-offs. Uh, I think there's something about the loyalty of people who are in prison that might have appealed to him. Sure. Um, I also worry... That depicting characters who are who are uh, human, like we see very human aspects of all three of these guys. Sure, absolutely. Then we also see them be racist and sexist and violent and not value human life. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the combo of that th- those things might have appealed to him as well. But I but this the idea that that adds complexity I find very superficial. I found parts of the movie painfully superficial considering what it was at stake in the film, which is like, you know, these guys are trying to like make it, but they're pretty stupid. <laughs> and they just don't really care about what they're doing. You know, there's no, uh, uh, I guess I should like that the romanticization, romantic, the romantic idea <laughs> of, <laughs> of the criminal who feels bad about being a criminal. Sure. That's, that's not here. Um, but I do worry about like what the ideological sort of, like, like, does the is is the point of the movie that it doesn't have a message? Well, I just don't think it's like amusing. Maybe this is insulting to people. I don't think the movie is amusing enough to not have a message. That's a like it's not fun enough for me. It's not funny enough for me. There's no real like action. They're shooting, but there's no real like action. Action. It's not exciting. Uh, it's amusing to some extent, but it feels like the kind of movie that should have a point, even if that point is silly. That there should be, like, a reason because it's not a big enough spectacle for me to ignore the lack of reason for it to exist.
0: I could accept the idea that it doesn't really have a point or a message in it if it wasn't for the final 10 minutes. Where right. It's hard to tell if that takes place in hell, whether it takes place in some sort of uh, – in someone's head, right? it. it, it we'll, we'll, we'll go into that in just a minute, but – it's that section that because right before, if it, it ended with the idea of Nicolas Cage getting arrested, and um, I'm going to say his name instead of just calling the bald guy because it's very disrespectful, and uh, Christopher Cook, who plays Diesel, him you know uh, dying in a, a, a car chase, car accident thing, and Willem Dafoe being killed, and it's just like, look, it was all this horrific stuff, but it doesn't really necessarily mean something. But then the movie keeps going, and it seems to be trying to tell us something, but I'm not sure what that thing is, and it makes me feel ignorant and bad that I couldn't puzzle it out because it it's it, it seems to be screaming it in my face and I just, just can't work it out. I,
1: I, I think I disagree with you to the extent that I enjoy movies that don't have a point or a purpose or a reason to exist when they're aesthetically pleasing. Right. And I guess that's the other aspect of this that I should mention. I think the movie's kind of ugly. I don't think it yeah. looks very good. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's shot particularly well. I mean – Thinking that he made this, what like right before First Reformed, a couple of years before First. Yeah, Reformed. a couple of years before. Yeah, and First Reformed is like, uh, oh yeah, Paul Schrader. Like I forgot, I like him. You know what I mean? Like it, it felt, you know, not like a huge revelation, but def- definitely a reminder of what I like about him as a filmmaker.
0: Same cinematographer,
1: by the way. It's so that I, that's. I guess that's what I'm saying is I don't believe the things that make this movie look a certain way or feel a certain way. I think they're all intentional. I don't. Th- it's. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's any. Even if he didn't care about this movie, and he just did it for funsies. You know what I mean? I still don't believe Paul Schrader makes a movie, even the ones I don't like, and just sort of fucks it off and doesn't care. Like I, you know what I mean? Like these are all decisions he's making on purpose, and I didn't understand them or like them very much. And so my thought is that it, it, I kind of feel like I'm with you. It's not that there isn't a point. It's that whatever the point was didn't come across to me in a way that I could understand it. The only part about the ending I'll say that, that maybe there was a point is uh, – like like Doug was saying, that it feels like a dream sequence, partly because Nicholas Cage is, is talking in this ridiculous impersonation. you know.
0: I mean, okay, let's talk about it. Let, let's talk about it for real. So what okay. happens in the movie is that there's this big climactic moment where Nicholas Cage's character gets arrested. Everyone, you know, his friend dies. He basically, it looks like it's going to be the end of the movie. And then we see him, the cops, because he beat up a female cop, the, the cops take him into the middle of nowhere. They beat the shit out of him and drag him behind their car. And then we don't know what happens to him at that point. The next thing that we see is this is this black couple who are sitting at a diner. They come out of the diner, get in their car, and he's in the back seat. And from this point until the rest of the movie, like a 10-minute period he speaks doing a humphrey bogart impression like and i'm not just saying that he sounds like humphrey bogart he's intentionally trying to sound like humphrey bogart for the rest of the movie and he makes this couple drive him to a certain place and when he gets out of the car to face the police who've caught up with him it it's clearly meant to, if not be a dream sequence, meant or in his head or something. It's meant to be very stylistic in a way that the rest of the movie isn't. There's fog everywhere; you can't see what's going on. It seems very dreamlike. The way and, and what he does is he pulls a gun on the cops, and the cops shoot him to death, as well as the couple in the car.
1: The, there's a part of me that wonders that the message, it, it could be unintended. Like I I hate to say this, but it's entirely possible that maybe Schrader didn't have. Uh, the murder of black folks by the police on his mind. He just right. picked uh, an old black couple for no reason. That's possible. It just feels very unlikely to me. And the message of the movie seems to be, you know what's getting black folks killed? Criminals. Huh? If it wasn't for criminals, cops wouldn't shoot black people because that's literally what happens is uh, instead of actually like going in a direction where they will not be caught in the crossfire, Nicolas Cage literally puts them between him and the cops, ensuring that they get shot by the police. And it's just a weird it's such a weird ending. Doug, it's a weird ending to the movie. It all feels very intentional and stylized and. I don't know why that decision was made. I just don't get it. it it's hard and to it, he imagine that it with the with the ending line too where he's like, "Wait, I was never looking for justice. I just was doing what I wanted to do." Yeah. And that's how the movie ends.
0: That's very fucking weird. I want to ask you a question, Liam, which yeah. is, is it possible that this movie was designed as a response film to Raising Arizona? Which is that that is another movie starring Nicolas Cage, uh, whose central core idea is that he is a, um, a repeated criminal who is tasked, or in that case, he decides to steal a baby, which is what one of the main things that happens in this movie. And that movie is played very lightly and for laughs and very sympathetically and empathetically for their character. And this is more like a real-life version of it where the characters are totally fucked up and you know, when they, and they're dynamite when they get together and it's going to end up in this horrible tragedy. It's going to get a lot of innocent people hurt. Hmm. Maybe. I don't think, I don't, I don't think it's intentional. It's just, it's odd that Nicholas Cage was in two movies where he plays a character trying to kidnap a baby.
1: But do you feel the reason I, the, my feeling is, is that it, it that coincidence is, um, That coincidence is definitely, like, uh, uh, not that important because it feels to me like the baby plot is actually not the important part of the movie. Like, kidnapping the baby is, like, a side mission that they fuck up immediately, by the way. (laughs) To the point where we never
0: find out what happens to the fucking baby.
1: Yeah. Never. (laughs) It's still locked in that room, as far as we know.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Oh,
1: my gosh. Yeah. I, I mean, just the fact that they murder the guy immediately. Like... If you're if you're at a house kidnapping a baby and a man comes in with a gun and says you guys are fucked why wouldn't you just assume that that's probably the guy that's probably the dude
0: but even if you I mean even um, I mean that's why I was a little bit sympathetic for them it's like okay assume that it is the dude you still got to do the same thing you still got to kill him he's got a gun pointed at you uh, maybe I don't know <laughs>
1: I don't, I don't. I don't know. I, I actually don't think that that's necessarily true. But you could be right. Maybe you're right. Maybe that. I mean, sense. look. It, it's uh, anyway. It,
0: it's a kind of a crux of the movie, which is that they, they do this baby kidnapping. They think that it's gone fine, and then they find out that they killed the guy who they were basically blackmailing. That they were that they were getting the ransom from. So all the money that they thought they were going to get, they're not getting. And you think that's going to be this big thing, but that doesn't actually end up being that big of a thing for the plot of the movie either. Because by the time it becomes a major issue, it all ends up in tragedy anyway.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's a
0: movie where a lot of shit doesn't matter. So all you can really focus on is the characters, and we've been really knocking it a lot. But I just want to say, I think Nicholas Cage does a really good job in this. Sure, I mean this.
1: Yeah. Willem you know, Dafoe is like owning that. He is
0: giving everything. In fact. Compared to Willem Dafoe, Nicolas Cage is very understated. He this, absolutely <laughs> is. This is a very – like it's not a restrained Nicolas Cage performance, but compared to Willem Dafoe, it seems restrained because he is – he's the mad dog that he's called in this. He is off the fucking wall in this. Yeah.
1: And and I like that part of it. I mean, there are things I like about this movie. I guess it does seem like I really hated it. It's not that I hate it. It's that um, some of the more off-the-wall elements of the movie I don't feel like are justified. I feel like the way the movie ends is trying to point at something that I don't feel like is clear. Um and it it the, the things that it's good at, I don't think I get enough of. Um like there's some there's a moment where uh the 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 um diesel character he connects with a woman Yes. And uh, she clearly is, like, interested in him for real. Yeah. You know, while, while Nick Cage and Willem Defoe's characters are uh, engaged with sex workers, the, you know, this guy has just picked up a, a lady, and they seem to be clicking, and then he freaks out because she's asking him too many questions, and he feels like they had some sort of unspoken communication where she understood that he had been in prison, and she does not feel that way. And, in fact, now she feels very unsafe at the way that he loses his...
0: So yeah, and straight up says it, too. I feel unsafe. I need to right. go. Right. And there's something there,
1: despite the fact that this character is, is, throughout the course of the movie, revealed to be just an inhuman beast, right? Yep. There's still some moment of sympathy there where I'm like, oh, gosh, man. like Because I I feel like that's not uncommon that people come out of prison, and they feel like there's a gulf between them and the rest of humanity, and they can never integrate back
0: in, even if they're not in the midst of a crime spree, right? Well, I mean, there's that other moment, too, where Willem Dafoe is taking his shoes off while they're having breakfast, right? And he's rubbing his feet on the carpet of this disgusting carpet. But it's just like, do you remember being in the cell and all you had were the you know if you had flip-flops that was the best you had and mostly you were in your bare feet on this concrete covered in jizz and snot and i mean these little, those little details about what it meant to be a, an ex-con and and trying to integrate back into the world is kind of what edward bunker's bread and butter was and so right, yes. that you think that that would make sense that that was what this movie would be about and even if if the 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 enduring message of it was well there's no way that that you can truly integrate back into society so of course you're going to fall back into this cycle of doing crimes hey that's interesting i can follow that but then that's still i that's the ending of this movie i have no clue you know i feel very i don't think, it's, I
1: don't think it's just the ending though i think the movie is more interested in them acting like assholes yeah. than it is in um in the, the difficulties that they... Like, the movie really hammers home two things. That the system is corrupt, and that there's almost no way, once you've made a mistake, for you to get your life back together. But also, these dudes suck. I mean, I think the movie does want us to think that if their circumstances were different, then maybe they would just be a Wall Street guy, or a banker, or something else that was respectable, but they were still corrupt pieces of shit, right? right Which I right. think we all can think of that. that there are people who thanks to a bunch of privilege and, and and a lot of luck, they're in a place where they're like doing well. But if you really like examine their character, they're not really that different from any one of these jerk offs. And that what makes these folks the cast outs of the society is luck and circumstance and circumstances beyond their control. Yeah. But they also want you to know that in this case, well, that's probably true. They really are awful people too. <laughs> yeah, that's that, they, right. that they have to be both things. And like, I got to be honest, man, like, I'm I'm saying that's real. Like, I think we can all think of scenarios where that's probably real, right? But, like, you know, I've known a few people who've done some crimes, you know, who've at least casually, if not professionally, been involved in illegal activities. And uh, I wouldn't say they had hearts of gold, like some sort of weird idealization of criminals, but they weren't this depraved either. Like, I just think the movie could work better if they were just, like, normal people because i think a lot of criminals except for the part where they maybe have that extra bit of gumption to hurt someone but like you know i know people who aren't criminals who like hurting people you know what i mean like i i know people who don't have criminal records who've still gotten in their fair share of fights and i think enjoy fighting and probably have found a way to fight in a ring with someone that they pay money to do as a way to get that out of their system you know like i i think this idea that like in order for us to see the reality of the situation, they need to be like this. And, you know, I think there is, again, there's some sympathy there. It's clear that Mad Dog is partly out of control because of, trauma, damage, like there, there's something up with him, right? But he's also racist, right? And, and whatever mental health issues might cause him to murder a child, if that's going to be part of the narrative, they don't cause him to use the N-word so casually. That's a decision he made, regardless of mental health things. You know? I
0: also, there is a part of me that thinks that at the beginning of the movie, where he kills his ex-girlfriend, who is overweight and unattractive, that the fact that she's yelling at him and is overweight and unattractive that there is an element of this movie that isn't just that isn't saying that it's okay but that it's more okay because of how she's acting and how she looks and maybe that's just because of something we've already talked about we know Paul Trader's kind of an asshole and at moments like that it felt like what is this movie trying to say and and how unpleasant is it well, like this movie tries to at the very beginning turn you off so much then then it has to come back from that right and uh and but there's a part of me that also and maybe i'm i'm really reading into it that it wants that unpleasantness to actually be somewhat humorous but i I don't know maybe i'm maybe that's really not the case because once he goes into that bedroom and puts the pillow over the the little girl's head and shoots her through it (laughs) i don't know how much we're supposed to find that funny because it's a dark comedy i mean that's what this movie is right it's a black comedy
1: And I guess that's what it boils down to is that, like, if – I hate to say this because I'm not someone that is uh, willing to defend every bad thing because it's funny. I think sometimes something could be perceived as funny but still be bad. Sure. However, if this movie was funnier, I would be less hard on it. Yeah, but I think that's fair. large chunks of this movie are just kind of like, (laughs) you know, like, that's it. And, like – then what am I left with? Well, I'm left with characters I don't love. I'm left with a plot that's not that interesting. I mean, I, I there's at a detached intellectual level, a movie that depicts crime as mostly boring and lame is, like, cool, because I think that's probably true. That, like, in a lot of cases... You know, risking your life to get ten grand is like not that cool, actually. <laughs> right. It kind of sucks. And like I love that aspect of the movie. I think that's awesome. Uh and a good decision. But I just don't feel like there's that much else here for me to like connect to.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that's what we're getting down to. And also Paul Schrader, he's a lot of things, but he, he ain't a fucking actor. That's for sure. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's also just the choice of him being in it. It's like the best part of his performance is that he's got a, like a deep voice. He has a terrible voice. <laughs> I don't like listening to it. Uh, I I like it. I like hearing him talk. But it's very much a voice that's like I I smoke. You know, like that's sort of the the vibe. I,
0: it's more a voice that I can barely breathe, which apparently is the case because he's has to wear oxygen on his latest movie as he's directing it. But oh wow, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, apparently, and not to defend it necessarily, but apparently he tried to get any number of different actors and people to be in that role, including Martin Scorsese. And just uh, when no one would take him up on it, he had to do it himself. But sure. That's the way it works, I suppose.
1: Well, look. Here's the thing, Doug. Sure, I've been saying terrible things about this movie. But is it better than the movie you chose? I kind of think it has to be, right? Because Nicolas Cage, Willem Dafoe, you know? uh, That's it. That's my whole argument. It's Nicolas Cage, Willem Dafoe.
0: (laughs) I do think it's a more interesting movie than The Windmill Massacre. I don't necessarily think it's... I mean, it's better because it's more interesting. If I was going to watch one of these again I mean, and again, that is not a marker For whether something is better than another thing but the shitty thing is that I probably would watch Dog Eats Dog again because I do think there's more to chew on there. That there might be something I'm missing. That by watching it from the beginning again and really understanding where it's going to go, maybe I can piece together some something about that ending. And and we're, and because I know Paul Schrader, whatever you say about him, that he does have an intelligence to him. Yeah, and true. that there is something about this material that must have interested him on a deeper level, because I have a lot of respect for his artistic. Uh, sentiment, then, then it makes me want to check it out again. I think I've gotten all I can get out of the windmill, but I th- still think there might be something I can squeeze out of Dog Eats Dog. I think, um,
1: I think I agree with you, but only because I wasn't there are parts of this movie where I was like, this movie is going to bum me out. Like I'm going to be like offended or something because it's just like skirting the line a little bit of going to a place where I'm just like, you know what? I don't give a fuck about this, but it doesn't, (laughs) but it doesn't really do that. It kind of gets up there. But I think in the end, my disappointment was just that it felt like there was more to the film that didn't come across, you know? Um, And that aesthetically I wasn't like, charmed by it the way that some of his other movies are not just interesting narratively, but they're interesting to look at. I didn't feel that way about this, this particular movie. I still think I would also rewatch it because as much as I think, um, the, Windmill Massacre was effective at what it was trying to be. It's just mm-hmm. not that interesting to me. I don't see how watching it again would offer anything. Whereas like, yeah. at minimum, watching Willem Dafoe be this character more than once is kind of fun. <laughs> um, it's just like, it's just like when, when if, you know, I was looking at Letterbox reviews of this movie, and I feel like for some people, you know, not that this movie is like the craziest thing ever, but for some people it was just, almost entirely an unpleasant watch and they didn't really connect with it i don't know that i find that a crazy thing to feel if someone felt like there's just nothing here for me i don't think that's crazy you know i just think there might be something i want to think about here it's just on this watch which was my first watch i left being like i don't know i don't think this movie works i just don't think it works but Mm -hmm. but it wasn't terrible it wasn't like whatever and in the end while i don't think all of it is as interesting as it wants to be it's not boring and i think yeah. you could argue that the windmill massacre could get boring on a second watch
0: yeah i think that's fair to say look i'm i'm not even though we're supposed to be battling the movies against each other these are movies that are trying to to, to do very different things the odd thing is i think the windmill massacre is a lot more successful at what it's trying to do but it's not a it's not as interesting of a movie i think that's fair yeah Liam, if people want to check out more episodes of Cinema Fantastica or other podcasts on the Cinema Smorgasbord Network, what's the best way for them to do so?
1: Well, I think they should probably head over to com. That's C-I-N-E-P-O-N X. They can check out this podcast as well as a family of other podcasts like CinePunks, Twitch of the Death Nerve. Tomb of Ideas, uh, Wine and Cheese, uh, uh, and as well as writing and some merch. They can, of course, follow CinePunks on social media, uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. All of it is X They can go to our website, CineSmorgasBord.com. If they want to jump into our archive and our, our whole library of shows uh, covering George Kennedy, uh, Alejandro Jodorowsky, uh, Steve Buscemi, carol kane just a, just a whole bunch of film related topics <laughs> uh and they can of course follow us on twitter at cinema s-m-o-r-g mm.
0: You can of course follow Liam on Twitter as well at Liam Rules. That's R U L Z, and I'm on there at Doug underscore Tilly. That's T I L L E Y. If you enjoy Cinema Smorgasbord or any of our individual podcasts, why don't you leave us a review on your podcast provider of choice? Everyone helps, and of course, the best way to help the show is actually to tell a friend about it. Tell people that you're enjoying it. Tell us, you know, leave us some feedback, whether through our social media, whether through the website. Let us know what other actors or directors deserve podcasts devoted to them. Hey, we pay attention. If you want to see something, it might happen, and we actually have another new show launching uh, at the time that this episode comes out it should be out there into the world you can check that out over at cinemasmartisport.com or the latest episodes on CinePunks but for now Liam we need to close the Cinema Fantastica bag we're going to be back very soon with another festival favorite good night everyone night
1: From the name right on it In big bold letters So everyone knows it's mine Don't even touch it cause Cause it doesn't belong to you I'm watching you so
0: don't be funny I'm climbing up Off the corporate ladder Watch out